0: All right, so here at Grace Life Kids, we always start our Sunday morning off with our decorations. These kids have memorized this, um, so we're going to start it off, and I want you guys to lead us in church. I want you to repeat after the kids, and we'll let you guys start off your morning before Pastor Clint comes up. So, well, Ruby, do you want to hold the mic and everyone else around you? And you guys say it loud so- I declare, God is in a good mood. He loves us he loves all the time. Nothing can separate me from his love. I am important.
1: How God made me is amazing.
0: With God, with God, with God nothing, nothing is impossible. Is impossible. Nothing is all right let's go kids what's up grace life church y'all enjoying your summer that's good we'll let them walk out quietly um cool well that's she is much better at that than i am i will admit humbling she keeps me humble uh we I can just get right into the message, I guess. But the a uh, few months ago, we rented this um, Airbnb out on the lake, and we went there this week. So it's just been months of anticipation, and we've been excited about this vacation going on the, on the lake. We've actually rented this this house before, and it was uh, we liked it so much the first time that we decided to go to the the exact same place. We we had paddleboards. We uh, you can rent kayaks. You can go out on the lake. It's this little lake. Uh, What's it called? Londa Lynn Lake. Have, have you all heard of that? It's out by the Livingston area. It's a little bitty lake. I went and my paddleboard around the whole thing. It was two miles. So it's not a huge lake, but it, it, it was a lot of fun. We were out there with our uh, Laura's sister and her husband and their two kids. And uh, it's going to sound like I'm talking bad for a second, but I'm not. I promise you. There's different ways, though, that people go about raising their kids, it's some good. I mean, everyone has their own ways. I mean, they're, we all have our own specific ways of doing things. And the, my brother-in-law, is like the nicest person. He's very compassionate, very nice. And I mean, that's how, so his kids have gotten used to experiencing love the way that my brother-in-law shows love in a very kind way. Me, on the other hand, I show love in a little bit, di- <laughs> a little bit different way. And, and so, I mean, if, if a kid comes up to me and needs something done or is asking for something, they want some cereal, my brother-in-law would get up and go get him cereal. And I say, are your arms broke? Go get it yourself. <laughs> and that's just two different ways to show love. His is, you know, I'm gonna help and I'm empowering is how I like to see it. And, and you know, I can't find my switch. I'm like, well, we're on the lake you should have left your Nintendo Switch at home, but I can't find my Switch. Okay, well, where, where's the last place he had it? I looked there. It's not there. I'm like, well, then clearly that's not the last place he had it because nobody else touches your Nintendo Switch. Go figure it out. And then he go find it where he would get up and go help his son go find the Switch. So anyway, my, my way of showing love is a little bit different. And then even I'm sitting there, and I, I, I get up in the morning. I, I consider myself a morning person, but it's not like I just jump out of bed and take on the day. I get up early, and I go drink a couple cups of coffee, and we're out on the lake. So, of course, I'm going to go sit out on the lake and just stare off into the world and I don't know what I look like, but apparently it's not the most (laughs) friendly. And and so anyway, we're sitting there, the kids come out, Laura comes out and she says, can you try to look a little bit more loving? These kids don't know your personality. And I said, I do look loving. And uh, I so she asked, Wes, does your dad look loving? He's like, oh yeah, yeah, he looks loving. Bo, that's our nephew, Bo, does he look, does Uncle Clint look loving? And he's like, uh, I'm like, it's just different. I'm not mean. I'm just different. There's just different ways to show love is my point with all this. And I'm not, so it's not me saying they're wrong or I'm right. I'm probably wrong, (laughs) but but there's just different ways to go about showing love. And I say all that because it's even, that's, it's kind of overflowed into the church is I've talked about many times that I've never felt like I Fit in with other pastors because I look at pastors and they're, they just have this compassion oozing out of them. And they sit at the other people's bedsides and they rub their little hair and they, they hold their little hand and say, It's gonna be okay. You're doing great, brother. You're doing great, sister. And I'm like, You're not doing great. You keep making the same dumb decisions over and over and expecting things to change. So let's get out of bed and change something. Let's start making some better choices. Amen. That's good. I was expecting that. But that's just, I mean, I've I've tried to find a middle ground. I'm just saying I don't fit in with the the pastors. And when we first started this church, I thought I needed to act this way. I thought I needed to kind of become something I'm not. Even in my delivery up here, I I don't have that thing that (laughs) that a lot of pastors have. If you're looking for a a rehearsed, memorized message, you're not going to get it up here. I just proved that point. 10 seconds ago. And so it's just it's just not my style. I want to speak from the heart. I'm going to prepare something and I'm going to let the spirit kind of go where it needs to go. And I believe that that there's something in every single message that you can grab. It might not not be the message as a whole, but you can take something, grab it, apply it to your life, and start to see something take place in your life. Maybe sometimes it's a big revelation, and sometimes it's just this little area that you could experience a little bit better or make a little bit better decisions in, but as long, or in the beginning when I was trying to be this guy that I thought everyone was looking for, it was just awkward and I'm awkward enough without any of that stuff. You know, so I didn't need to try to, to become something. I mean, we should always grow and try to evolve as people, and, and you shouldn't just be like, well, this is my personality. Deal with it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just but but there is a line that we don't need to cross because we are a body of Christ. There's different parts of the body for different functions. And whenever I realize that this this personality that God's given me and the way that I go about doing things really resonates with certain people. But as I've said many times, this church. Isn't the Clint Zeller show? We are a community of people that each have different giftings that can, that sometimes someone needs someone to sit at their bedside and hold their hand. And hopefully we have these people. That's my dream, my goal for Grace Life Church is for all of us to work together and to, to have a common understanding of the love of God, the grace of God, and our identity in Christ that empowers us to move forward in life. But I can't do it all myself. I, as the pastor, can't be all things to all people, but we as a church can, and that's what I want for, for this uh, specific church. I've never felt, again, I don't feel like I fit in. I've been in, in, in groups, pastor groups, where I just feel like the odd man out, and I, I feel like the odd man out most of the time anyway, but you think, this is what I'm called to. This is what I'm, I'm supposed to be doing. I really feel like it. And then I'm in this group with them, and I just don't feel like I belong at all. It's a wallflower, and that's how I am at any party. If, if we hang out in a group, I'm probably over there. And if you want to talk, we can, we can talk. I try to do better because I'm the pastor. I try to go around and talk to people. But anyway, that's not the point. Uh, but God's put something in place in the church so it can function where it's not all dependent on one person. And it's called five-fold ministry. It's in Ephesians 4. Eleven, beginning in verse eleven, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ I, I have in preparing this message I, I kind of I honestly have about three different messages in here, so i 'm kind of going to fly over this part to get to another point that I want to to really talk about, which is my heart for our church and something that the Lord shared with me but As a church, we can't look at one person and and hope that the pastor is all things to all people, or he said something in a way that didn't, I didn't like the way he said it, or that sort of thing. I want this church to be a community of people where you get to know the people in these chairs, and and we all grow together as a body and accomplish something that I could never do on my own. Does that make sense? All right, so that's the, the point of church, and I'll get to to more detail. I'm scrolling. I'm going to get to more detail. But I wanted to talk about something that the Lord, I feel, spoke to me when I was in Bible college. And some of you have heard this story. But this is what my focus is for our church. Because I believe that as we grow in this this revelation that I'm going to share this morning, we can all find our spot, find our place in this church and in this and that should empower us to go into the world and other people will see it. We can take the kingdom everywhere we go. Not just on Sunday morning. This isn't your relationship with God. This is just a supplement to your relationship with God. And I hope when you show up here, you you experience something or at least spark something in you in excitement so then when you leave here, you take it with you out there. That's what I want. That's what the point of this church is. But when I was in Bible college, I was uh really unsure about what I was going to be doing later. I knew that I was called to full-time ministry. I just didn't know what it looked like. I never thought that I was going to start a church at that time. I didn't know I was going to be a director of a Bible college. I had no idea. We were youth pastors at our church in Colorado, but I always knew that that was a temporary job and assignment or however you want to say it, that was just for a specific season even staying in Colorado I knew that that wasn't where we were always going to be it's beautiful and a lot of people whenever they learn that I used to live in Colorado they say why in the world would you move from Colorado but there's something on the inside of you you just know you're not going to find fulfillment just because it's pretty (laughs) <laughs> there's, there's a calling on our life. Each one of us are made on purpose for a purpose. And until we're willing to admit that maybe we got to make some difficult decisions and maybe move or go a different direction, we're never going to find true fulfillment. But anyway, I was, it was, um, I was in Bible college. I went there for three years. And in the middle of my third year, the school moved. And it started, my first two and a half years at Bible college were in Colorado Springs. And then in the middle at the Christmas break we moved they built this big beautiful building up in Woodland Park up in the mountains. And I remember that first it was in January we just got back from our Christmas break and I walk into that building and I was just looking around it was beautiful. It's just beautiful. It's it's just like a big cabin up in the mountains. And I walk in I was just looking around. Specifically, what's still stuck in my mind is up in the beams and the rafters, and they just did an amazing job in this building. I look up, just awestruck. This one man, Andrew Womack, started this Bible college many, many years ago, and it was like five people, and now it's become this amazing beautiful ministry up in, in the mountains. And I was just in awe of this. And I felt right then that the Lord spoke to me and said, I want to do this kind of thing in your life. And I thought, okay. And the feeling I got whenever I've uh, that happened wasn't, I want you to have big old buildings and, and big old everything. It, it wasn't about that. It was more about take allowing God to move in my life to step into my ultimate purpose, to, to do some amazing things. And I don't know what that's going to look like 20 years from now, 50 years from now, hopefully. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a process that I'm always going to be growing into, but I didn't take it as big buildings and lots of money and all that. It was more about just stepping into something great. God wants to do something great in my life. And so I was I, like, okay, what does that mean? And I felt like the Lord said, let me show you off. Let me show you off. I thought, all right. (laughs) Do it. Ta-da. Here I am, everybody. No, uh, it was, it was, I I just, I didn't have a clear picture. And I I was praying about it, and I was spending time with the Lord, just trying to figure out what this meant. And I felt like he gave me this verse. The verse is in Matthew 4 verse one, it says, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That didn't make any sense. So I thought, well, maybe this, I just poof, a random Bible verse popped in my head and and that's, that's the most of it. This can't be God speaking to me. This is just some random thought that I had, but I just couldn't drop it. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you. I mean, this hasn't happened a ton to me, to be honest. There's just been a few times in my life where a Bible verse speaks, uh, uh, comes to my mind because it, didn't, it wasn't the words that, that popped into my mind. It was Matthew 4.1, go look it up, if that's ever happened to you. It's, it's not always the context, but sometimes the Holy Spirit is speaking to you in those words for whatever reason. But in this case, I, I kind of just brushed it off because I, I wasn't sure, but I just couldn't drop it. Matthew 4.1, Matthew 4.1. Well, let's read the context around it, because take the text out of context, you're just left with a con, right? So I, I went back one verse, and I actually went back a, a more than that, but but this is right in the middle of Jesus about to start his ministry. He's in the, the river. He's about to be, or he's baptized by John the Baptist. John the Baptist lowers him, brings him back up. And in Matthew 3:17 it says, And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. <laughs> And I, I mean, y'all are looking at me confused because I was confused too. What does this have to do with each other? And then you start, I start, started thinking, well, if this is God's son and he loves him so much and he's so pleased with him, why in the world would he then in the very next chapter and in the very next part of this story lead him into a seemingly dangerous situation? And a lot of people think that, that God, that is what God does. He, he loves you so much and he's going to put you in some tough situations. But that'd be like me throwing my kids out in the backyard with a lion or out with a snake or, you know, it's just what kind of good loving father does that type of thing. So it was this whole process and I just couldn't drop it. Let me show you off. Let me show you off. I would sit over the next five months left of Bible college, I'd be sitting in classes in an instructor because I'm an introvert. I don't, this is, this is not my personality here. It's all the show, just putting a big show on. No, <laughs> but it, it, I'm an introvert. So I always sit on the back row in these classes. I don't really talk to anybody. Whenever I, I showed up for the third year of Bible college to the uh, reception where you get your, your little badge and all that. They said, Oh, did you move here from a different school? I said, No, I've been here for two years. But nobody knew me because I didn't talk to anybody. But then the Lord says this to me, Let me show you off. And then I'm sitting in these classes, and an instructor will stop and say, You know, what's your name? Clint. Been here for two years. But the Lord's saying, take the limits off, let him show you off. That happened about three different times. One time a girl stopped me in our break room and she said the exact same thing. Stop limiting God, he wants to show you off. I'm like, all right, I'm starting to get the point, I think. Something's going on on the inside of me where I'm limiting what God wants to do in my life. And what that girl said was, don't let your opinions of others limit God from moving in your life. That's always been a battle for me. But anyway, that's a different message for a different day. But so, so I'm getting all these words. I'm people are saying this. The Lord's speaking in my heart, and then I'm like, all right, I'm gonna figure this out. And I really dove into this, this uh, Matthew four one, and I felt like the Lord just started to reveal a lot of things to me. And it's what sparked this desire to move forward and that's what I want to really focus on today. And it's it's funny. I don't know again if you've had these instances in your life where the Lord's speaking to you through scripture and and it's kind of bouncing all over the place. And it doesn't always make sense, but as you just follow that leading and guiding from the Holy Spirit, then suddenly it all becomes clear. And that's what happened in this case and the next thing he showed me was in Job. Job 1. I don't know if you're anything like me pastors would get up, or I'd be listening to people. I'd sit in our church in Colorado, and he'd say, oh, we all know the story of Job, or we all know the story of this person, and I didn't grow up in church. Or I didn't go very often, and I'm like, I have no idea who Job is, no idea who these people are. So I try not to do that. I'm going to try to sum up a little bit, and there's a lot in what I'm going to say this morning, but I hope you get the, the point that I'm trying to, to say here. But in Job 1, it says there's a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. And then it goes on. I'm not going to go into it, but it lists all his possessions. And it's just, he was super rich, super prosperous, had everything that he would ever want. And then it goes to verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, where do you come from? So Satan answered, and the Lord said, uh, from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil. Verse nine, so Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge of, Hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side. You have blessed the work of his hand, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Then the story goes on. Job lost everything he lost his children, he lost his possessions, he lost his, I mean, he had health problems, boils all over his skin. I mean, this dude had a rough go. The only thing that was stayed behind was his wife, which makes me think his wife was not cool at all. But uh, I heard a comedian say, that. I think he heard one of my messages because I've been saying that for years. It's funny though. So anyway, this passage, it, on the surface, it makes God look, look like he's the bad guy. So Satan's out there, and he's like, curse him. And he's like, well, have at it. Have you considered my servant Job? And, and it's just, it's made to use, or people use it in ways to say that God, maybe he doesn't cause bad things to happen, but he'll allow it to happen. He'll allow bad things to happen. He'll allow Satan to come into your life and just destroy everything if you don't have everything just Right? And that doesn't make sense to me though because my understanding this side of the cross now that we have a complete picture of who God is and God is love perfect love casts out all fear and God is the same yesterday today and forever so that's the filter that we need to look at scripture through even we can't we got to remember that that people I'm not going to we talked about it last week if you weren't here essentially in hebrews 1 it talks about how the prophets in the old testament had a limited view of who god is but now this side of the cross after jesus who was the exact representation of the father we have the full picture so there's certain stories and certain examples throughout scripture where they just didn't quite understand things the right way and so we're reading these stories and these are real emotions that people had but it was a limited view, a limited understanding of who God is. And I'll, I'll prove that to you here in a moment. But we need to just take a step back and look at this picture, this story, and what's really going on here. I'm going to go back through it. And it's, uh, it says, um, I lost it. The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come from? And Satan says, uh, this is verse seven, you got it. Uh, and the Lord said to Satan, where do you come from? So Satan answered the Lord from going to and fro on the earth, walking back and forth on it. And then he says, have you considered my servant Job? What this looks like is God just offering up his kid. You're looking to wreak havoc in people's lives. Have you considered this one? He look, he's pretty, pretty awesome. I dare you. I double-dog dare you to try to talk him out of his love for me and his service to me. But if we just put ourselves in these shoes, this would be like me and the kids in the front yard throwing the the Frisbee, throwing a football around, and then this van drives by with no windows. And I walk out to the the van and I say, what are you doing? Well, I'm just driving to and fro around Woodland Oaks, looking for kids to abduct and ruin their lives. Oh, well, have you That's kind of dark, I know. That's the, like, everyone's kind of like, I'm of, it's kind of funny, but I'm uncomfortable laughing at that. But it's just true, I mean, but that's, that's what's going on here. Whenever we think that God the Father, who is love, and is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that's exactly what we're saying, that he's just going to offer us up. It doesn't matter how, how good we are or any of that. None of that matters because you just never know when God's going to say, hey, Satan, here you go, try it. And then we have this distorted view of who God is. And so Job loses everything, but was it really God in this, did this story really work out the way? I think there's a little bit lost in uh, translation here. When he said this word for have you considered, the word considered in Hebrew means have you set your heart upon. Have you set your heart upon my servant Job. So this isn't, okay, you're out there just trying to destroy lives. Have you, hey, how about mine? No, this is more of an accusation towards Satan. Have you set your heart upon my servant, Job? Are you thinking about hurting him? And then Satan says all the things that Satan said and and. The Lord said in verse 12, behold, all that he has is in your power. So Satan's telling him, strike him down, do all this stuff. And, and the Lord says, behold, all that he has is in your power. Behold means look, look, all that he has is in your power. We, I almost said it, but most of us know the story of Adam and Eve and what happened where there's a transfer of power in the garden. So God's not giving permission to Satan in this story right now. He's just saying what, what already is. Look, all that he has is in your power. Adam handed control over to Satan. This is before the cross. This is before we regained power. But, but look, all that he has is in your power. Only don't lay a hand on his person. So again, have you set your heart upon My child, well, my hands are kind of tied. And I know that's hard for us to wrap our minds around. You're saying that God Almighty, he can't step in and stop this from happening in this instant, but God works by covenants. And that's what this covenant was about at that time. So so we have this distorted view of what's going on in this story, but whenever you understand that God is love and that he doesn't want us to experience this pain, but sometimes things happen. It's not God causing it. There's a number of reasons why. But then the story goes on, and Job blames God for everything. And then Job's friends add, to, add fuel to the fire and say, well, yeah, well, you probably have fallen short. You sin. You don't... You don't uh, Give enough offerings, you don't provide enough and and on and on and they lay so job's already beating himself up, thinking that God's punishing him, then his friends, the people that are supposed to help him in his time of need, they step in and add fuel to that, and they they say that that he's messed up, and that's clearly why God is doing the things that he's doing and then we take this story and we we just pluck a verse out of context and we say things like in the uh, job. One twenty-one. It says, naked I came from, your mother, uh, from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You hear that at funerals, that God took them. God needed another angel. When my mom died, I heard that so many times. God just needed another angel. It's ridiculous. God doesn't need, well, we don't even become angels. They're a different thing. And God didn't need my mom more than I needed my mom. That's ridiculous. But we just say these things because, well, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Or Job 13, 15, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Though he slay me. So God's just going to slay me. He's going to just unleash hell in my life. But I'm through gritted teeth, I'm just going to trust him. What? That's just that mind... That thought process doesn't compute in here. If that's who God is, I'm out. This is, this is all a waste of time because there's no way. That just doesn't make sense. How is that love? I heard a song once and it's called Though You Slay Me. And the whole thing is like, just depressing. And then this preacher comes on. <laughs> And he's like, when that car loses control and drives up on the sidewalk and hits that family, I'm like, what are we doing? This is a worship song. Don't waste your cancer. There's books called Don't Waste Your Cancer because God's using that cancer to teach you something. What are we doing, folks? And then we wonder why no one wants to show up to church or or believe what we believe. It's insanity. And it's all stuff that's taken out of context not understanding the heart of God, because if we understood the heart of God, maybe we read these difficult passages, we'd say, well, maybe it's, maybe there's something deeper. This wasn't always, this wasn't written in English. So maybe there's something lost in translation. Maybe there's a cultural difference that we just don't understand in 2022 in America. There's a lot that, that needs to go into understanding this stuff, but I'm telling you, every time I've looked at a passage that looks like God is the bad guy, I find an answer for it. It's usually pretty simple. We just have to take our lens off of what we've always heard or what we've always thought or whatever reason we, we look at it. So and just to, to back up a little bit of what I'm saying, so we have uh, 38 chapters, 37 chapters of Job, and his friends blaming God for what's happening. And then in, verse, or in chapter 38, Job 38, verse one, this is a lot of information. I'm just laying a foundation then we'll bring it all together, I promise. But the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? In other words, why are you saying things that you know, know nothing about? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. This is like a, I mean, this is Old Testament, but now we call it come to Jesus meeting. (laughs) I mean, he was there, Never mind. So verse four, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding who determined its measurement. Surely, you know, I love this, like this correction. Like if you're so smart, bro, tell me. You think you have it all together? Tell me. Surely you know. And it goes on. I mean, you, could, you can read it. But it's just, this is a point where God is correcting all this wrong thinking. So you could easily take points from Job's story that he wrote and come to this bad conclusion. But he even, God tells him, you're wrong. That's why you got to read everything in context. And then in chapter 42, verse 3, Job said, You ask, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I've uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. This was just, Job was going through some stuff and he had some real emotions and sometimes it feels like God's not present in your life or maybe I deserve this. Sometimes we have these emotions, but if we read the whole story, we know that that's not right. So it's okay to have emotions, but understand that God will never leave you nor forsake you. He's not behind your pain. It's a thief that comes to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. And that was true for us. It was true for Job, even back then. This has always been God's heart for mankind. So I'm I'm getting all this. So again, what's this have to do? Let me show you off. Jesus was led by the spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, Job, (laughs) and all this stuff. And and so then let's, let's go back to the story in, in Matthew 4, Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Again, I think there was a temptation that took place and there was something that, that was going on. But in, in Greek, the word tempted means to examine, to examine. So Jesus was led, into the, uh, led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be examined by the devil. All right. I hope this is making sense today. <laughs> this is like, bringing it all together. So so Jesus was led into the wilderness to be examined by the devil. That kind of changes how, and there was temptations and and the devil threw some stuff at him, but let's just look at this because this is what the Lord was speaking to me. What's my ministry going to look like? Let me show you off. Jesus, Job, examined, tempted, all this stuff. And I started thinking about Jesus. And there's a story in Luke 2. It's the only story we have of Jesus being a child. I mean, you have baby Jesus, but then there's, all, there's, there's not a lot of information about Jesus growing up, but there's a story in Luke 2, starting in verse 42, where Jesus was 12 years old. It says he was 12 years old. They went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and, bro- and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey. So they leave their 12-year-old son behind, Jesus, and they don't even realize it. That's some poor parenting, in my opinion, but it makes me feel better about myself. I mean, I've lost my kids, but not for, like, that long. So they did not find him. They returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now it was a day, or it was that after three days they found him. In the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard were astonished, astonished at his understanding and answers. This is a 12-year-old boy. That's like we just had uh, all the kids up here earlier. It's just handing them the microphone and saying, tell us about the father. And we just sit back in astonishment at their revelation at 12 years old. This is amazing what's, what's going on here. This is the leaders of the church, and he, this 12-year-old boy is saying things that they'd never heard before. So when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to him, why do you seek me? I'm a little smart aleck, 12-year-old boy. That's blasphemy, isn't It shouldn't say that. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? 12 years old, has this revelation, this understanding, this relationship, this profound understanding of who God the Father is, so much so that the leaders in the temple are astonished by what he's saying. He says, don't you know I'm about my father's business? He knew who his father was at 12 years old. But they didn't understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth, Nazareth, And was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So 12 years old, doing all this amazing stuff. And his ministry didn't start till he was 30. What did he do in that time? Well, he increase in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So he already had this profound knowledge at 12 years old, more than the leaders in the temple, and he continued in it. That's why I say all the time, we're never going to get it all. We're going to spend the rest of our lives growing in our understanding of who God the Father is and our identity in Christ. Jesus continued growing in wisdom and in stature. So part of it, he just, I mean, there's wisdom, there's the the mental understanding, but if people are going to listen, sometimes you just got to grow up. And in that time, you had to be 30 to be a rabbi. So there was just a, an amount of time of growth there, physical and, and uh, mental knowledge. And so, so for 18 years, how much more? Because we think G- Jesus, just born in this earth, just poof, knew everything. Well, that's not true. We just read that that's not true. He had to grow in it just like we had, have to grow in it. I think he probably had a little bit of help and a a little bit of an upper hand in some of us, but it doesn't mean that his way of doing it isn't the exact same way that we grow. And as we grow in wisdom and in stature, we will experience more favor with God and man. That's spiritual favor and in this natural world, favor. So now bringing these two stories together, we have Job and Jesus. Now Jesus is led by the Spirit. Now Jesus is led into the wilderness to be examined by the devil. It's really the same story of Job with different outcomes. Job had this experience with Satan, but he didn't know what we know. He didn't know who he was. He didn't know whose he was. And the results showed In fact, I can't remember where it is off the top of my head, but but Job said, the thing that I feared most has come upon me. The thing that I feared most. Well, in Christ, there's nothing to fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. There's nothing to fear. So when Jesus went and he was examined by the devil, this was God saying, this is my son. I love him. And he put him out there to be examined. In other words, there's a point where the wisdom, you've grown up, you have the wisdom, you have the stature and now you're gonna go out and experience favor with God and man. You know whose you are, you know who you are. So this is God sending his son who knew who his father was and knew his purpose in this life. He says, examine him. He's showing off his son in this moment because when you know these things, when you're grounded, rooted and grounded in the love of God, you can step out and the world's gonna see it. And the devil or anything else in this world can throw everything they have at you and it's gonna, you're just gonna keep moving forward because you're confident in who you are and you know the power that you possess. The body of Christ right now, it feels like we're more Jobian than Christian. We're, we're expecting bad things to happen. And the reason we're expecting bad things to happen is because we don't know. We don't know who we are. We don't know whose we are. We don't know the power that we possess. We don't know that we possess the kingdom and that the kingdom, we, we have this idea that the kingdom is some distant experience after we died, not realizing that Jesus said that the kingdom of God is within you. Now your job is to renew your mind to that reality and release it into this world. We shouldn't expect the, the results of Job. We shouldn't say the Lord gives and, and the Lord takes away. Bless be the name of the Lord. Or though you slay me, I'm just going to keep on trucking. That, what kind of relationship is that? What if I just slap my wife around all day? She's like, oh, I, we're married. I'm just going to keep putting up with it. That's ridiculous. It's an unhealthy relationship but that's how we are with God. We think that that's just how he is. That's not who God is. Let me show you off. God said that to me, and I think he's saying it to all of us. Get out of the way. Quit thinking that I'm behind your pain and draw near, draw near to me. Understand who you are and whose you are, that you're never alone. I'll help you walk on the water. The storm's gonna come. Are you gonna crumple? Are you gonna fall? Are you gonna get up because you know the power that you possess? So there's a time of growth. There's a time of understanding and and really trying to wrap your mind around it. But don't stay there. You're meant for so much more than that. That's not what God wants for you. He wants you to experience heaven on earth. Are you? you I mean, Job's an extreme example. But are we expecting loss? Are we hoping that we get the job? Are we hoping that I get the healing? Am I hoping that my emotional life just finally corrects itself? Are we hoping... We should be expecting. You're a child of God, an heir to the promise, a possessor of the kingdom. Stop hoping. Expect. That's who you are, and that's what God has for you. So, this, this church is the, the beginning stages, I believe. And I'm, again, I've never thought that this, I don't want, it's not about numbers, it's not about money, it's about impact, it's about growth. And I've never been to a place that talks about this. It's always about the bad. It's always about how you need to do better. You already know that. I say that a lot. You don't need me to get up here and tell you all the bad stuff you're doing. You already know it. But let's talk about this. Who are you? What does God say about you? What is the power on the inside of you? Are you activating that power? Are you releasing the kingdom? And be honest with yourself. And if you're not, change. <laughs> it's really that simple. The concept is simple, but sometimes you got to be, you got to be brutally honest with yourself. So, you know what, my life right now is a sum total of every decision I've ever made where I am right now. So if I'm unhappy, if I'm not experiencing heaven on earth, that means I can start to change the decisions I'm making and experience something new. You can't do the same thing over and over expecting different results. It's insanity. If that's what we do. And we just have this same thought. God's behind your pain. Though you slay me, Lord gives and takes away. Well, he did it to Job. Why wouldn't he do it to me? He will never leave you, for you nor forsake you. He's not behind your pain. And as we grow in that and understand those things, that your sin isn't kryptonite to God. He's not gone the second you say your little potty word or you drink that drink or smoke that smoke. He's not gone. He's there with you. Are you acknowledging his presence? If, you're, if you have an addiction, are you involving God in it? Are you, are you allowing the Holy Spirit to make those changes? Because it's not my job to change you. And it's not your job to change others. It's our job to just understand the love that God has for us, who we are, whose we are, and let that transform us from the inside out. When you understand the love that God has for you, despite everything that you've ever done, every thought you've ever had, maybe you'll be a little more gracious toward the people out there that aren't living up to your standard. We have this idea that loving people is, I'm going to love them w- with an agenda. I'm going to love them. I'm going to invite them to church, and hopefully they change. That's love, That's not love. That's an agenda. That's like your friend, long-lost friend from high school, messaging you on I shouldn't even say this, but if, if, I will. The, on Facebook Messenger, hey, I've been thinking a lot about you. How's your, you and your family? Good, that's good. Hey, I have an amazing opportunity for you. And then they start selling you on their MLM. I'm not anti, if y'all do that, that's fine. I'm just saying, maybe there's a better way. But that's what we treat our relationships like multi-level marketing. And we're going out there and oh, I have this thing and it's a good product. I promise, so I, I love them, so I'm gonna try to push this product on them. No, how about you just love them and live kingdom life on earth as it is in heaven as you grow in a relationship with them. They'll see what you have, they'll want what you have, and that's how we expand this kingdom. Not trying to sell the gospel, not trying to sell a relationship with God, but just loving people in the middle of their mess. Man, we're just, we just get all messed up. It's not your job to change people. It's your job to love people. Love doesn't mean you compromise what you believe. It doesn't even mean you agree with them. It doesn't mean you accept every little thing that they do, but it's not your job to correct. Hey, man, this is, good. <laughs> this is good. this is good. This is that love I'm telling you about. Sometimes we just need to wake up, awake to righteousness. This is, I mean, how long are we going to keep playing the same games? How long are we going to keep thinking the same thoughts and believing the same things? Maybe it's time to change. And if Jesus had to do it for 18 years, don't you think we should make it a little bit more of a priority? More than Sunday morning. Not works, this doesn't change God, but it changes you. If you put this relationship first in your life, it'll change you. And not, not just in your list of priorities, first thing when you wake up, but how about you just make you and God, you just go through life together. How different would it be if you were consciously aware of his presence? Probably pretty different, right? He's there. That is the truth. So let's just flip that switch and acknowledge that. That's how we start to change the world. That's how we start to change ourselves, our own lives. That's how we love people effortlessly. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I've loved you. So you gotta know how he loves you and that will cause you to love one another. Love is a fruit, a fruit of the spirit. If you don't love people, maybe you don't know the love that God has for you. So you have to try to love people. You have to try to love the unlovable. It just comes, it just happens. So use that. How do I treat people? How do I look at people? Am I expecting them to stab me in the back? as everybody against me? You don't know the love of God. Draw near. Grow in that. And it changes how you see everything. I promise you, if you've never experienced it, just trust me on this one. This might be one of those times, if you've never experienced it, you just got to take my word for it because it's changed me. It's changed my life. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I don't bat a thousand, but, man, I'm, I'm different. I look at those silly Facebook memories. I'm more embarrassed by me from 2009 than about anything you could ever be embarrassed by. But it's, I've, I, it changes you. I wouldn't be up here if this wasn't true. But sometimes we need that, that come to Jesus meeting. Sometimes we just need to wake up and say, you know what, nobody else is going to do it for you. Stop, be, stop playing a victim Get up and do something. Go get your own cereal. (laughs) I feel like the last few weeks I don't end smoothly. Amen? All right, let's pray.